Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Wednesday edition of The Yard. It is not a very happy day here in Starville, and I will go ahead and caution you now. I'm getting some more work done around the house, so occasionally you may hear a dog barking or hear a door slamming or something, so don't, don't think that I'm under duress or anything. Just want to go ahead and give you a heads up here. You may hear it. Um, it's been like Grand Central Station right here the last couple of days, but be that as it may, it is graduation week. want to go ahead and offer our sincere congratulations, our hearty congratulations to all the new Mississippi State graduates that will be graduating this weekend, including my daughter, Audrey Robertson, uh, who will graduate with a degree in computer engineering. Really, really proud of her. Never thought that was coming. You know what I'm saying? You never know what your kids are going to be. You never know. You know, when she was younger, she wanted to be a wrestler. And her name was going to be Awesome A. And she is Awesome A. She's just not a wrestler. So really, really proud. Got a lot of family coming to town, that sort of stuff. You know the whole drill. Got the reservations made. Going to be a great family week. You're looking forward to that. And uh, as uh, my first child that graduates from Mississippi State, the first of uh, three, the oldest one didn't graduate from Mississippi State. What's ironic is he's the biggest Mississippi State fan. But when you get a chance to play college baseball, you got to go play college baseball, even if it's not a Mississippi State. So, again, to all the families out there that will celebrate their – Loved one graduating from our great institution, congratulations to everybody. And it is a team achievement, even though the student is the one that does the does lion's share of the work. I know there is a financial commitment, an emotional commitment, an investment that so many people make in these young people, and uh, it is really cause for celebration. And so I hope you get a chance to do that. And uh, whether you're graduating from Mississippi State or somewhere else, anytime you get a college degree, it's a big deal. I don't have one yet. I'm going to go back eventually. But, uh, you know, reality of it is, is that uh, – it's an important part of life. It really is. I, I told my kids their whole lives that uh, you need to get your college degree because I, I don't want you to have to work as hard as I did. You know, I don't want you to have to work your way up from the bottom. I'm, one of my first jobs as, a, as an adult, I took a job uh, sitting in a room with no windows for about six bucks an hour, and I called people that were late on their furniture bill and eventually became um, a manager of a retail outfit in the uh, furniture business that um, did over four and a half million dollars in sales per year. And so, I, but I had to work for it. I had to put up a lot of nonsense, a lot of weekends, a lot of long nights. I didn't want that life for my kids. And so it is honest work, but it is a lot of work. And I didn't want my kids to have to do that. So I always encouraged them to get their college degree. It gives you a little bit of a, uh, a head start in many respects in life, especially if you get a, a versatile degree that uh, gives you some opportunities. Now, if you go out there and you get a degree in French poetry and basket weaving, you, you, can't, you can't expect to make uh, big bucks in life. You, you just can't. You, know, you do what you want for yourself, but understand you're kind of limiting your income earning potential 
when you go out and get something that, that obscure. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and I know you do too. I, anytime I mention to my family, it's like, hey, what about Bulldog Burger? Yes. I don't have to get it all the way out of it. Yes. That, the answer to that question is yes. Do you want Bulldog Burger Company? Yes. A resounding yes. One of the main things I love about it is there's just a lot of you know, diversity on the menu. You, you hear Bulldog Burger Company, and that's why you go for that great restaurant-quality hamburger. But uh, there are a lot of great options on there, not just hamburgers. Great appetizers, great desserts. I told you guys that sweet heat chicken sandwich is fabulous. Uh, I haven't had the Nashville hot chicken sandwich. That's next. Matter of fact, I think we're going to do that tonight. I think that's I think that's the move tonight. We'll get Bulldog Burger Company to go, and uh, we'll have that Nashville hot chicken, and I'll be able to intelligently describe it for you on Friday's show. Find your new favorites yourself. Go to Bulldog Burger Company. You're not going to find a better place to break bread. It's just as simple as that. Great, great night out with friends, great night out with family, great place to have, uh, you know, maybe a business lunch because everybody's going to find something that they like. Bulldog Burger Company now has three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harbor Drive there in central Mississippi in the Ridgewood Flowood area. And it's connected to everything. All roads lead to Bulldog Burger Company. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you better looking and everyone around you. It's the science. Trust it. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's break down this ball game. And right out of the gate, let me tell you this. I was there because that's what I do. You know, I've missed some baseball this year. I had some book signings and some events and things like that that have come up, and I have missed a few games this year, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't like missing baseball, home or away, because I'm committed to the cause. There's nothing like being there. How do you describe the event if you're not there? Maybe other people are just smarter than me. I don't know. But I like to go to the ball game. I like to be able to talk to the players after the ball game. I like being able to talk to Coach Amonis after the ball game. I also like it when the recorder's off and I can kind of, you know, maybe talk to people and find out some things that necessarily aren't uh, made for a press conference, Right. You don't get that if you watch a game on TV. Anybody can watch a game on TV, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just old school. I think you got to be there. Nobody has covered more Mississippi State baseball the last, what, four seasons than me, and it's not close. And that's, that's not an indictment on anybody else. I'm just telling you that I feel the need, the desire to get in the car and go. And so I went, a lot of people the weekend, it's like, are oh, you really going to go over to Hoover and watch that? Yes. Yes, I am. Because the Mississippi State Bulldogs are playing. That's my team. That's my job. You know, I, I can't just look at it as, well, you know, I'm just going to be a fair-weather guy. I'm just going to watch it on TV. And, again, other people may not be inclined to do the things that I'm willing to do. And that is perfectly okay. I'm, it's not a competition. But I wanted to be there. And not only did I want to be there for you all to get, you know, the sights and sounds and kind of explain the ongoings that happened at the Hooper Met – but I also wanted to, you know, I wanted our coaches and our players to know, say, hey, you know what, hey, Steve's here. You know, Steve's committed to cover Mississippi State baseball. Steve's here. Theo DeRosa was there with me, too, from uh, the Columbus Dispatch. Nice kid, man. Really liked that kid a lot. And he went to Missouri without me. I couldn't go. Had, some, had a book signing. 
And uh, you know, for him, it's kind of going home. You know, he is a Missouri alum. And so uh, I, I neglect and I regret that I wasn't able to go to that, that series. But, um, and I won't be able to make it this weekend, obviously, because we have graduation. I told Lamontis that last night, you know. But I think it's important to be there. You know, I think about 2014 when Mississippi State um, went to number one in the country in football. It's like now all of a sudden, you know, we've been good. You know, we haven't been great. We've been good. And all of us that had kind of covered Mississippi State, you know, through some lean years, some challenging years, some injuries, some years we barely hit bowl eligibility, you know, we finally rewarded with a great season to cover. It's a lot more fun to cover winning teams. That's just the reality. Stories are better. The stories are more well-read. You know, people are more likely to read the story. A lot of good news when your team is winning. I think you learn more about yourself as a writer when maybe things aren't so good. And that's not always just pumping sunshine either. You know, sometimes you just got to tell it for what it is. I think that's always the best policy. But in 2014, you know, Mississippi State, all of a sudden, we go number one in the country, and all of a sudden the media room gets a little crowded. Now all of a sudden, you know, we got Sports Illustrated here. You know, we got Pete Thamel coming by. You know, we got Andy Staples coming by. Got all these, you know, these big, big fat cats and college football coverage. I mean, people that I read regularly, whether it's about Mississippi State or not. Well, then, you know, after we lose to Alabama, all of a sudden, you know, those, those people weren't coming as often. You know, 2015, all of a sudden, it's just back to the regular crew. Then 2016, uh, even some of the regular crew was kind of jaded and bitter. But I've been through here through all that stuff. And so I think it's important to be able to fully tell the Mississippi State story to not just cover us in times of prosperity, but to cover us all the time. And, again, that, that's my personal philosophy. And, again, that's not an indictment on anybody else. That's just kind of how I feel about it. I feel a need to be there. This is a job that I've always wanted, to cover Mississippi State, to be able to go on the road and be your eyes and ears, to be able to share back with you, hey, here's what really happened. Here's what, what's going on. But also, too, you know, how do you ever write about Mississippi State sports history if you're not there to witness the history that takes place in your lifetime? Like, I, I am so envious of Dave Murray. I, I am. And I work with Dave, and Dave's been a great mentor to me. And, you know, as long as uh, I'm involved with uh, Mississippi State media, David Murray's got somewhere to write, man. But he's a great resource for me. And there are a lot of times, too, I'll say, hey, Dave, I've read up on this. What really happened? At this ball game, I'll tell you guys too an interesting story before we get into a recap of the ball game. You know, Dave Murray was SID for baseball in the '80s, and in '89 it was Dave Murray that got the phone call. Or I guess maybe he went down and made a phone call and found out that LSU had lost and Mississippi State had won the SEC championship, and Dave got to go deliver that message to our dugout. That no matter the outcome of that ball game, we've won the SEC. What a cool moment, man, to be able to do that, to be able to share that. And so that doesn't make the box score. That doesn't make the AP gamer. And so sometimes I'd call Dave and say, hey, Dave, I'm reading up on this. I'm working on this for the book. And what do you remember about that? Well, you know, I guess Dave could just kind of give you the TV account, but, but he doesn't. But because Dave was there, there is some authenticity to what he's saying. And so in many respects, I kind of see it the same way. I want to be this generation's Dave Murray with just better hair. And so that's part of it for me. 
is, you know, I, I think about down the road, you know, like I chart every single pitch. I mean, sometimes people will text me or message me during the ball game, and you're like, hey, you didn't message me back. God, I'm, I'm charting every pitch. I mean, because here's what I'm thinking is someday, someday there's going to be some individual out there that's going to want to write books about Mississippi State sports. And, you know, there's a lot of information available at healthstate.com. There is. But it's kind of bare bones. And one day, somebody's going to say, hey, remember when Mississippi State won an Apple championship? Like, yeah. Well, I found this guy that charted every pitch, and he documented what really happened. And so that guy is going to be able to go write that book or write that story based on my coverage of those games. So it's not just for you, but I think about, you know, for the future. Because of, you know, the way that I feel about Dave Murray, I, I want future writers, of Mississippi State writers, to look back at this era that I worked in and say, you know what, that guy was on his game, man. The guy did a great job. He made it easier for me to do my job. He did a great job describing, you know, the sights and sounds of Mississippi State athletics. And so I, I take that responsibility very seriously. So I went over there. And uh, – and so I'm going to say this with as, much, with as much earnestness at my command. It is one of the worst losses I have ever covered. It is. It's an absolute gut punch. And, um, and it didn't take long to start feeling those bad vibes where you feel like oh, we are constantly chasing the baseball game. Constantly. It's like we can never, ever get a comfortable lead. And even with that, you can't relax because the bullpen's been so up and down. But it's like, surely Samford, surely we can go over there and play Samford, a team with a losing record, and at least squeeze out a win. Arkansas Pine Bluff was awful. Eastern Kentucky or Roberts back in 16 was awful. This was, one, this, was, this was like that. And the difference is, is Arkansas Pine Bluff, we still ended up uh, having a good year. 2016, we won the SEC, and we're a top eight national seed for the first time. We win a regional and lose to Arizona in the Super. This year, we're not going to have any of that. We've got none of that to look forward to. So it makes this one sting a little bit more. And even after the ball game, I wasn't even mad. It's just kind of, you know, it's just been that kind of year for us. And I'm a believer, and, you know, and to a fault, I guess. I'm a true believer. I always believe we'll find a way. But we've run out of room. You can say, well, yeah, Steve, we could sweep the last two series. Come on. I love this team. I love these kids. I love these coaches. I love them over us. Anybody expecting that to happen is just kidding themselves. And that's not an indictment on these players. That's just the reality of where we are. I think the weight of great expectations was too much for us to, to shoulder. And then the injuries just kind of cut our legs out from under us. But the thing that I go back to when I think about last night, nobody that we've lost to injury would, would probably have pitched last night. Landon Simmons wasn't going to pitch against Sanford. Stone Simmons not going to pitch against Sanford. Not with a big series coming up at A&M. You know, maybe, maybe Brooks Auger gives you an inning. But that's the thing that I think about, to me, is a bigger problem. It's like we have had these injuries, and what they have done is really exposed a lack of depth on our pitching staff. And, and, that, and listen, that's not to say that it wouldn't happen to anybody. And I always say, well, there's injuries everywhere. Not, not to the extent that we've had. We've lost four guys for the year. That's, that's pretty, you know, 
it's a pretty big deal. And, and there was a guy on the message board yesterday brought up, hey, you know, well, back in 17, you know, we had a bunch of injuries too, and we still found a way to get to a super. And you know what? He's exactly right. That's exactly correct. We had all those Tommy John injuries that year. Keegan James went down. Ethan Small went down, among others. And we ended up winning three games with position players pitching. Cole Gordon went from being a first baseman, DH, to being a pitcher on SEC weekends. Jake Mangum was our Sunday guy. Brant Blaylock won a game against Alabama in extra innings. And that team went to the Supers and had the lead on LSU twice and just simply couldn't hold it. I mean, we listen, guys, we're a couple games away from Omaha with that team. And so, yeah, you can say, you know what, we've had those in the past. But let's be honest, that's the outlier. Usually when you have this many injuries to a pitching staff, the season's over. It is. And I just think, you know, we needed some guys to step up, and they haven't been able to do it. And so we've got to figure that out. That's the task Lamontis and staff has right now, is what do we do to fix this? And let's not allow the injuries to kind of, you know, become this encompassing reason or excuse, no matter how you want to define it, for some other issues on the team. Right? Let's not say, well, you know, if we hadn't had those injuries. Listen, we've got, you know, we have not had clutch hitting this year. It's very rare. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. And I thought about this last night. There's really no point when I look up and say, okay, we've got these next three hitters coming up this half inning that I, that I began to think to myself, oh, we're definitely going to score this inning. I don't have that feeling. And it's rare to feel that way at Mississippi State. I mean, like last year, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, when you saw late in the ball game that uh, Rowdy and T.A. were coming up, you're like, oh, we're going to score this inning. We're going to score this. If we could just get out of this half inning, we got top of the order up, we're going to score. And that's how it felt. There was just this supreme confidence because we had stars. Kind of like on that 17 team, they went to the Supers. You had Brent Rooker that won a triple crown. You had Jake Mangum. And so you had some stars, and this is the thing that I think about, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to say it, but I feel like I owe it to you. We got some really good players. I don't know that we have many stars. And I understand we're kind of at the end of a talent cycle, and, you know, we had some major things happen for us of a positive nature last year. But I don't see a lot of star power in this lineup. And you can say, but Steve, and that's just me being honest. You know, uh, Logan Tanner is going to be probably one of the first five to six catchers drafted in this draft. He, there's no chance that got coming back. And you know what? He is an elite receiver. He is. As a guy that was a former catcher, I, I, you know, not that I played at high levels, but uh, you understand the fundamental elements of the game. I'm very envious of how easy that is for Logan Tanner. He, that guy gets us a dozen or more strikes a ball game just because he is such a great receiver and a great framer of the baseball. He hadn't had the offensive year that we'd hoped he was going to have, but that guy is a bona fide big league prospect. I won't be surprised at all to look up in a few years and he's in the big leagues. You know, Cameron James, an exceptional athlete, I still think Cam may benefit from coming back. You know, but I think, you know, Cam has never been the rah-rah, get-in-your-face type guy. Cam just wants to kind of go about his business, do his job, has had a good year. Has he had the great year? No. Luke Hancock, a guy that uh, you know, really toyed with the possibility of coming out last year, um, has he had the great year? No. He, he's had a good year, not a great year. And I think that trio, that's what you think about. Those were the, that's a nucleus of guys we were counting on 
to maybe take the next step. And I think what we, if we're being honest with ourselves, they probably made their jump last year. I think this is who they are. That's not to say that they haven't improved a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. You, you have those big jumps in college where the guy just kind of figures it out. And I think that's what happened. I think they figured it out last year, and it was just kind of masked by the fact that we had you know some superstars on this team, uh, like Will Bednar and Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan. It kind of, these guys just kind of flew under the radar in many respects, and we learned to count on them, and now all of a sudden it's like, they're kind of performing, in many respects, the same role they did last year. It's just you don't have somebody else in the order to pick them up. You know, RJ, obviously having a big, big year, might win the Boo Ferris Award. You guys have an exceptional year. Should be an all-SEC guy. But you just don't have that alpha dog on this team. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of where we are. I thought it might have been LT. And, um, and this is another guy, too. He kind of goes about his business, too, does his job. You know, and so I'm not being critical of those guys. I'm just trying to kind of frame this up as best I can. But I still thought, no matter who we threw, we're, we're hitting midweek pitching from Sanford. Not, not one of their weekend guys. We're facing a guy, Lynch, that was 0-4 with an ERA north of 11. I thought, you know what, it shouldn't matter who we pitch. We, gotta, we can go, we're going to go smash this kid. And we didn't. We didn't. And again, it's not about pitching. You go face midweek pitching from a SOCON team as an SEC team, you should smash those guys. You absolutely should. And we didn't. All right, let's take a look at the game. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. 
The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. It starts out, you know, RJ gets behind and um, is then hit by the pitch. Then Luke flies out the center. LT singles to third base, which sends Jaeger to second. You start thinking, okay, we got a chance here. We got a chance. And we did shake up the order a bit, too. Move Cam down to seven. Um, and so, Heinzen flies out to center. We tag a center runner to third. So, first and third. And then they walk Brad. So, we had the bases loaded now. Just need the big hit. Chance to blow it open early. And you know Young Lynch from Richmond, Virginia, is sitting there thinking, holy smokes. I've already worked myself into a jam in the first inning. And we ground out. Ground out, out, ground out first. And um, pretty crazy play there. The first baseman kind of ranges off the back. Second baseman fields it and pitcher covers. Nice play by Lynch in the Sanford infield there. Uh, but, you know, in those situations, we got to get the hit. And this is never about one player. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it is, it's kind of been a consistent theme, you know, among our team this year. So... Uh, bottom of first, Hal pops up to the shortstop. I'm like, okay, we were behind this hitter, and it seemed like we, I, ha- I don't have my notes from last night with me, but it's, I, I want to say we might have thrown three called strike, four called strikes maybe in this inning. Tepper really struggled out of the gate. We get a pop up to short, and then there's a walk. Then Ledbetter, no kin to uh, Newdale, Odell, Marcel, Clovis, Claude, and Nugene. Singles to left. Then we walk Klein. And right here, I, I just wanted to slap my hand on the table. But I'm a professional, so I don't. I, I'm able to dial it back. I'm like, are you kidding me? Base is loaded. And you knew they were going to score. But Maurice Hampton Jr., former LSU Tiger, homers to make it 4 nothing. And even this, I'm thinking, you know what? This is not a good start. It's just first inning. It's just first inning. Tepper responds by getting uh, David to strike out looking and Bennett to strike out looking. Swinging, excuse me. So it's 4 nothing after one. Plenty of ball game, right? Top of second. Cam uh, grounds out to third. Jess flies out to left. Lane Forsyth. You know, what's, you know this guy's kind of quietly having, you know, making the jump we talk about. And nobody, I guess, think I'm the only one talking about it. I have all these people that text me and say, I'm so done with Lane Forsythe. I said, do you not understand that he's doubled his batting average over the course of the last six weeks? Do you not get that? Let, I mean, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So Forsythe singles up the middle and then uh, goes to second on a wild pitch. So here again, we got a runner in scoring position, chance to get on the board. Jaeger hits an absolute screamer, basically right at shortstop. I mean, it's like, and then I start thinking that this it's going to be that kind of night. R.J. Barrels one up, just so happens it's right to somebody. It's an atom ball. 
Tepper comes back, though, and really responds here, puts together a nice stretch. It starts, you know, it started at the end of the first, you know, with the back-to-back Ks after the Grand Slam. And you can say, but Steve, you know, besides that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Uh, the bottom of second, he gets a one, two, three inning. Strand K's looking, Salvo flies out to center, and Hal grounds out to third. At this point, you're like, okay, let's settle in. Top of third, we get a leadoff walk from, uh, from Luke, and then LT is hit by the pitch. All right, so here we go. Runners at first and second. Nobody out. Surely we can score here. Hunter Hines grounds into the play. Runner takes third, and then Cumbus flies out to center field. So a promising start to an inning is erased with absolutely no offensive scoring here. So, again, you look at this. You know, we don't get a productive out in the inning. We get two guys on. They gift us two runners. They gift us. Now, when we gift guys, teams runners, it seems like they all score. We gift them. They gift us two runners, and we don't take advantage. And that is on us. All right, bottom of third. Tepper's still out here. He gets a, a ground out to first, and then he walks Ledbetter. So that snaps a streak there, I guess, of what, uh, you know, six six consecutive? I think, I think that's right. Six or seven straight. And um, and so you walk Ledbetter, and then we get a pop-up to short. So it's a, it's we're two outs now. We, we've gotten a wall. We got one pitch away from kind of pitching around that walk. And then um, – we, oh, we, oh, we compound the issue by throwing the pickoff away. And then we walk Hampton. And then that's it. We pull him, bring in Fristo. And Fristo was outstanding against Florida. David and Singles for the shortstop. I thought they could have charged him with an error. I thought we had a play at second. Um, now, this is a different play here. This is, this is the controversial play. This is the one initially I thought – that Lane beat him to the back. It's a ground ball, and, uh, you know, we're trying to, uh, to make a play here. And then Hampton and he collide, and Lane falls down, and they rule him safe. Now, based on what I saw after the ball game, he was, in fact, safe. I think the argument here is you have a duty to avoid contact. That doesn't mean to give up yourself with two outs, but you have to slide. He goes in high, which supposedly is supposed to be the automatic out. And then, with, as our luck has it, the next guy up hits a grand slam. So now it's 8 nothing. At this point, it felt like the game was over. In the back of your mind, in your bulldog heart, you're thinking, okay, it's just the third inning. It's just the third inning, but it's 8 nothing to Sanford. And, and not the Sanford team from last year with McManus and, and DeShera. This is the leftovers that have a losing record. And then Strand singles up the middle, and Salvo strikes out looking. We're finally out of it. Top of four, uh, Kellum grounds out to second. Cam singles to short. Uh, no play there, really. Uh, with the way Cam gets down the line, there's just not going to be a play there. Uh, James in still second base. So, again, we've got a runner in scoring position less than two outs. They walk Jess. Now we've got two guys on base. Forsyth, an infield single to, um, to load the bases here. And then Jaeger... First clutch hit of the night, just pulls one uh, through the six hole there to drive in two runs. Now it's 8-2, and you start thinking, okay, we tack on a couple more here. We can have a nice inning and really, you know, get into this deficit and give us a chance uh, to get caught up. And we do get a couple more things happen here for us, but we didn't get another big blow. Uh, Everybody moves up a base here uh, on a wild pitch. So now all of a sudden you got runners at second and third, 
But, you know, it's the same situation. You know, we got an opportunity here for a big hit. We get a ground out to first, hit a ball to the right side, get some of the run home there. Of course, a base hit scores two, but we do get one home. So it's now an 8-3 ball game, and then LT flies out to center. So we're back in the game a little bit, but it's still, you know, you're down five, and you begin to think another opportunity, another opportunity to draw a little bit closer. Cole Cheatham comes in for the bottom of four. Cole Cheatham has been better for State down the stretch. You know, it took him a little while to get going. He had a rough outing at Georgia. He's been outstanding his last four outings, and the best outing of his young Bulldog career took place last night. In fact, Cole Cheatham is going to be our prime shrimp player of the game. Let me remind you, as always, if you're looking for great shrimp, Go to primeshrimp.com. That's a New Orleans-based shrimp company. Very easy to cook. No mess of prep. Just drop a pouch right into the pot. Um, it, it's outstanding. Ship direct, direct to your door. Very well packaged. Very well cooled. It'll survive the Mississippi summer heat all day. And delicious shrimp cooked for you in less than 10 minutes. So if you're crunched for time and you'd like a New Orleans French Quarter quality meal, go to primeshrimp.com. Use promo code Boneyard. To save yourself a few bucks on that order. Always a money-back guarantee. And all orders over four pounds of shrimp, shrimp ship for free. Say that five times fast. Four great flavors to choose from. I am really, really, really a fan of all of them. But I think the French Quarter Alfredo is my best. Uh, and I would say two. You're thinking, well, Steve, is it just flavored? No, the, the, the Alfredo sauce comes with it. So you can make a, uh, you know, a bed of fettuccine noodles and then pour... The French Quarter Alfredo prepared shrimp right over the top. Outstanding meal. PrimeShrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. All right, so Cole Cheatham comes in, gets a ground out to second from leadoff hitter Howell, then King rifles one in the right field. And then I thought Cole was outstanding. Got a strikeout swinging, and then there is a caught stealing. And uh, there was a ball in the dirt here. And for some reason, King decides to take his chances and LT throws him out, and it wasn't even close. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was almost an embarrassing situation. It really was. But we get out of the inning there. Top of five again. State kind of chipping away here. Hines grounds out to second. Compaston grounds out to third. And we mount a two-out rally here. Kellum Clark, with a really quality at bat here, allows himself to be walked. Works a count, gets on base. And then Cam James doubles to center field. Uh, Clark scores, and uh, this is the the one that got lost in the lights. Cam James elevates one uh, to right center. Maurice Hampton basically off the bat was letting the right fielder know that he didn't see it. Right fielder apparently didn't either. It falls for an RBI double. Jess Davis then hit by the pitch. We got runners at first and second. They, at this point, they lift Lynch in favor of Goff, and Forsyth strikes out swinging. Another good opportunity there for, for us to get a little closer and uh, we don't make it happen. Bottom of five, Klein grounds out to the pitcher. Hampton's in hit by the pitch, and then David singles. And you think, okay, Cole Cheatham's fixing to blow up. No, he did not. No, he absolutely did not. Gets ahead in the count, gets a K looking of Bennett, and then a K looking of Strand. And I asked him about both of those. I think it was an 0-2 and a 1-2 count. And he rams that fastball in there on the black and gets a called strike. Both of them outstanding pitches. All right, top of six. 
State uh, one, two, three, and the well, I think not one, two, three. They face a minimum here in the end. And Jaeger flies out to right. Hancock walks. You're thinking, okay, let's make some things happen. Then LT hits the ball back toward the middle, and they uh, they, they turn the six four three double play to get out of the jam there. Bottom of six, Cheatham back out again. Get Salvo to strike out swinging. How then grounds out the first unassisted. Hunter Hines makes a nice play there. King singles back up the box. Ledbetter then singles through the left side. And again, Cheatham refused to relent here. Serves up a fly ball to left field. Big can of corn. Cumbus settles under it. The inning's over. Top of seven. They make another picking cha- pitching change and bring in uh, Newman. Hines greets him with a double against the shift down the left field line. Now, all of a sudden, you got a runner in a scoring position. Think at the very least, we got to get one here. Cumbus flies out to right. Hines takes third, and then Tom uh, Clark hit by the pitch. So now you've got runners on the corners, and again, you start thinking a base hit here could really get us back in the ball game. Cam hits the ground ball, uh, and they force a runner at second. And you're, as well as Cam runs, you're not going to be able to turn two. And Hines scores there, makes it eight five. Davidson singles down the right field line, really barreled that ball up nicely, and, high, and James goes over to third. So runners on the corners, and then Lane Forsythe up at a big opportunity for the second straight at bat. Uh, grounds out, they force the uh, the runner there at second. So, again, another, another chance for us with traffic on the bases for us to get a little closer. We don't. We bring in Drew Talley here, and again, Cheatham, uh, three scoreless innings. Hampton strikes out swinging. David fouls out in the right field. And then Bennett strikes out swinging. Very efficient inning for Drew Talley. Very encouraging to see. Top of eight. State down three. Down to their final six outs. Jaeger doubles down the left field line. So you got a runner in scoring position to open the inning. Lukton flies out to left. Tanner strikes out looking. And then Hunter Hines singles through the left side to chase the run home. Make it 8-6. Now the tying run comes to the plate. They bring in their closer, Hobbs. Cumbus hits the ball hard to third. And then the guy bobbles it. Can't make a play. They charge him with an error. Now you got runners on again. Kellum Clark in a big situation here. Kellum absolutely barrels one up. Off the bat, I thought it was gone. All the Sanford people in the press box, when that ball left the, the bat, they're like, oh, no. And I thought, too, I said, you know what? He's going to hit a three-run tank here. We're going to win this thing. It ends up kind of fading foul. A diving attempt there is no good, but then eventually Clark uh, grounds out to second. So, again, another opportunity. Another guy in scoring position, and we just can't get the guy home. Bottom of eight, Tally's back out, a 1-2-3 inning. They pinch it with Bortek for Strand. We get him swinging. Salvo grounds out to second, then Howe flies out to left. So two perfect innings of relief for Drew Tally. Top of nine, state down two, need to get runners on. Cam James then fouls out just in front of the Mississippi State bench. Jess Davis goes down swinging on a breaking ball in, and then Forsyth strikes out looking. So Lane has been better, but his final three at-bats in this ballgame uh, not going to make the end-of-the-year highlight reel. So that's a ballgame, and State loses to Sanford 8-6. Didn't expect to say that. Yeah, I really thought I was going to be able to go, go over there and cover, you know, a Bulldog win, and we certainly needed that to happen. It didn't. Let's look inside the numbers here. Uh, Mikey Tepper is charged with the loss. 2.2 innings pitch, allows six runs on two hits, four walks, three Ks. Uh, that's what happens. That's what happens. When you give people runners, eventually they, somebody runs into something. Hadn't always been the case for us, but uh, not a great outing for Mikey. Jackson Fristo, not a great outing for him either. Just one-third of an inning pitch, allows three hits, two runs, gets the one strikeout, 
faced four batters and retired just one of them. Cole Cheatham, again, your prime strength player of the game. Three innings pitch, four hits, no runs, no walks. That's a big one right there, right? No walks, four strikeouts. Drew Talley, again, two innings pitch, no hits, no runs, uh, no walks, and three Ks. And so you look at the Bulldog bullpen, you begin to realize, okay, you've got a couple guys here that are kind of challenging for something. You know, Talley has been a guy that's been a little bit up and down at times, but was really good last night. Uh, looking at the hitting numbers last night, you know, this is the thing. We, you, you get 10 hits. You get 10 hits and you get five walks and you think, wow, you know, we ought to better win this ball game. Samford had nine hits and four walks. So we had more opportunities than they did. This happens at their big swings, counted for a lot more. R.J. Yeager, two for four with a couple of ribbies. Luke Hancock, 0 for three. Logan Tanner, one for four. Hunter Hines, two for five. A couple of really big hits from Mississippi State. Brad Combus, 0 for four. Brad kind of in a funk right now. Got to get Brad going. 0 for 3 for Kellen Clark, 2 for 5 for Cameron James. Move him down in the order, and he gets a couple big hits again. Two RBI and a run scored. Jess Davis, 1 for 3 with the run scored. Also had a walk in the ballgame. Lane Forsythe, 2 for 5 uh, in the ballgame uh, with a run scored. And so uh, that's your recap. And Mississippi State now just one game over 500, 25 and 24. Sam for 23 and 23. Not a good position to be in. You know, we're going to continue to support the Bulldogs, but uh, – there's no way to paint this as, as a good year in any respect. I mean, I wrote a column earlier today over at jeanspage.com. It is a free-for-all column about, you know, the history of College World Series champions, how they fared in the next year. And Mississippi State, at this point, not expected to make the tournament, nor should they. Mississippi State will be the 30th defending champion not to make the tournament next year. A dubious distinction, to say the least. Not the position we want to be in. Uh, we'll have more about a little baseball, uh, Mississippi State baseball, later in the show. Let's take this time now to, to do our top ten list. Brought to you by our friends at CloseWithBlair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. A lot of people out there in the mortgage business. Blair's been in the industry for 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage lending. So you get the best guy with the best company doing the best job for you. Maybe you're a person that's kind of put this thing off and say, you know what, I'll figure it out. You know, maybe it's time just to kind of admit, you know, the best thing for you to do is to get that home equity loan or perhaps a secondary mortgage and consolidate some of that debt to give you a little more breathing room kind of week to week. There's no point living paycheck to paycheck if you don't have to. Or maybe the dream of home ownership has remained elusive for you. Blair is a guy that's dealt with non-conforming borrowers and atypical arrangements, uh, probably more so than anybody. 21 years, he's seen it all and done it all. Reach out to him today. His personal phone number, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And uh, here's the deal. You let Blair know by text or email or carrier pigeon or whatever, Skywriting, whatever you want to do. Say, hey, I heard about you on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a $500 value. It's a great incentive to do business with Blair Chandler. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. A longtime Bulldog, season ticket holder in multiple sports, has a place here in Starkville. He can help you get a place here too. How about that? All right, top 10 list today. We want to thank uh, our friend Nancy Castera. She had reached out to Roy and said, hey, what about old blues songs that became classic rock songs? I thought it's a great idea. Let's bump that up on the list. And uh, I was surprised at how many of them there are. I shouldn't be, but I was somewhat surprised. 
it's pretty easy to come up with a list. Now, one that didn't make the list is Man of Constant Sorrow. If you've seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You are familiar with that song, right? The Soggy Bottom Boys, it was their signature hit. Well, that's actually an old folk song that goes back all the way to the 1800s. But uh, a great band called the Charm City Devils has a great cover of that song, Man of Constant Sorrow. It is outstanding. They also had uh, a great track called uh, Devil is Woman. Maybe you should check that one out, too. I think you'll be glad you did. Like the Charm City Devils. Good band. Good kind of a Southern rock group vibe, too. All right, but here we go. Number nine is a, an old Robert Johnson song covered by the band Foghat. It's Sweet Home Chicago. Robert Johnson's not from Chicago, but you may recall many blues artists from the Mississippi Delta found paying gigs in Chicago. And so Chicago was kind of a second home for many of our great blues players uh, here in the state of Mississippi. So Sweet Home Chicago uh, by Foghat. They had a big hit with that. All right, number nine. Many of you didn't know this was a cover song, but it's Peace of My Heart by Janis Joplin. Uh, well, I guess Big Brother and the Holding Company, but uh, Janis Joplin, of course, sang the vocals on there. That is actually an Irma Franklin song. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, it's true. And it's an incredible song. But uh, it is a cover. Number eight, and this song has been covered by several bands. Uh, it's Howlin' Wolf's Backdoor Man. We're going to go with the Doors version of Backdoor Man. Howlin' Wolf, of course. Uh, what, a, what a great name for a blues player. I mean, have a great name for anybody, right? Howlin' Wolf. Outstanding. All right, number seven, Otis Rush. Pin this great tune, I Can't Quit You, Baby. It was covered by Led Zeppelin. And Led Zeppelin, at their core, is a blues band. I know they did some progressive rock stuff at some point in their careers, you know, Cashmere and things like that. A lot of stuff off into the outdoor. But at their core, they are a blues band. And one of my favorite Led Zeppelin tracks is Traveling Riverside Blues. You go back and you listen to Jimmy Page. A lot of the stuff he does is very fundamental in the blues genre. So they cover I Can't Quit You, Baby uh, by Otis, Otis Rush. Great tune. Love it, love it, love it. Love the Led Zeppelin arrangement. And we're going to hear from Led Zeppelin a little bit later in the show. Uh, number six, the band Lead Belly originally wrote Black Betty, which was covered by Ram Jam, which is what many of you know is Ram Jam's version of Black Betty. But, uh, it, again, that's a cover song. I mean, the, the big hit from Ram Jam, their one-hit wonder, is a song that somebody else wrote. A lot of controversy about that song, too. A lot of people you know, thought when it first came out that it was one with a lot of racial undertones. But uh, you know, Led Belly, of course, you know, wrote it with maybe a different motive in mind. All right, another Robert Johnson song makes the, uh, makes the list here. It's uh, Crossroads, uh, covered by Cream and Eric Clapton. And I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, when Robert Johnson's grave was desecrated several years ago, it was Robert Johnson that paid for the new headstone that uh, you can find up in the Mississippi Delta. I've been there and had my picture made with Robert Johnson's headstone. And, um, you know, there's just something about being up there. It just You know, there's, so there's a vibe in the Delta, especially around all these old haunts and things like that where these blues players live. There's just there's a different vibe and feeling around that. All right, number four, the animals make our list for the first time ever. The animals covered the house of the rising sun. This goes back to an old folk song, and uh, it's really, it's not really known who originally wrote the song. A lot of people have covered it, but no one's had the same level of success that the animals had with House of the Rising Sun. I mean, you can go anywhere on, on uh, Bourbon Street these days, and there's always somebody covering House of the Rising Sun. 
All right, uh, the Rolling Stones back on the list today. Time is on my side. And I'll be honest with you, years ago I thought this was a Rolling Stones song, but it's not. It's a a cover song by Kai Wendy and uh, that old outfit there. Time is on my side. The Rolling Stone arrangement is a little bit different than that old blues arrangement. But uh, if you've ever watched anything with Keith Richards, you know, Keith is another blues guy. You know, a little more progressive than than some. You know, they've had some radio hits, but – you know, the Rolling Stones, in many respects, are a blues band. All right, number two, the classic Blind Willie McTell song covered by the Allman Brothers. It's Statesboro Blues, which is my favorite Allman Brothers song, and it is a cover, but I love their arrangement of it. I absolutely love the lyrical content on this one. I think it's absolutely a near-perfect song, and I think the Allman Brothers really did justice to this one. Uh, number one, Kansas Joe McCoy wrote this and uh, sang it with Memphis Minnie. And it was actually a song that was written about the Mississippi Delta. Oh, you didn't know that? It's When the Levee Breaks by Led Zeppelin from Led Zeppelin 4. Some people call that album the Runes album. But When the Levee Breaks, again, it's a blues song at its core, but it's about the Mississippi River. And you've got this great, incredible classic rock band from England singing about the Mississippi Delta. So that's where, that's the genesis of that track. But I think that is one of the greatest songs of all time and uh, love the percussion on it. Bonham did an incredible job on that one. But uh, When the Levee Breaks, your number one blues song that became a rock song. And all of these, I think we could submit, are, are classic rock tracks, some bigger than others. But uh, When the Levee Breaks, that's a song that they still play at Duty Noble Field to this day. And again, a song written by Mississippi. So there you go. There's your top 10 list today. If you have ideas for a top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Send him your ideas, and he will send them on to me. If you send them to me, there's no guarantee that I send them to Roy. I try, but sometimes I get busy. Days like today, I've already written two articles and had to deal with three different companies in and out of the house. And so sometimes I don't always get to return all those messages, or I'll mean to do it, and I forget to do it. So reach out to Roy. Thank him, as always, for putting this great list on Spotify. Uh, Very appreciative of him for doing that. Roy reached out years ago and said, hey, I'd like to do this. And I'm like, cool, let's do it. And many of you have really responded. And so, you know, Steve, I'm always looking for a new playlist when I'm traveling or whatever, when I'm running or exercising. And I've been turned on to some new music that uh, really gives my heart cause to sing because I love being able to give you guys a gift of music. So there you go, the top 10 blues songs that became rock songs, top 10 list. All right, time for uh, to look around the SEC. I told you guys I thought it might be a, um, a day that all the SEC teams win, and then Mississippi State loses, and so it doesn't really matter anymore, does it? That's how I feel. Maybe you feel like I do. When Mississippi State loses, I don't even want to watch anything on ESPN. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, I want to see that score scroll across the bottom. I'm just a baby about all that stuff, I guess. But uh, So I, I didn't really keep up with a lot of scores last night after we, uh, we lost. Now, if you're looking for a game to watch tonight, Ole Miss will play Southern Miss. Uh, that's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. You can stream that. And it uh, might be a good ball game. You know, we'll see. Southern Miss doing some big things. All right, so Tennessee, number one Tennessee, gets by Bellarmine 11-5. Florida shuts out Bethune-Cookman 7-0. Auburn goes on the road, takes care of Troy 11-4. Of course, uh, Sanford beats Mississippi State 8-6. 
Vandy holds on 8-7 winners. And I don't know if you saw that, but Enrique Bradfield stole home for what proved to be the winning run. How cool is that? That guy's electric, man. South Carolina Upstate goes into Columbia and beats South Carolina 9-6. Alabama 13-6 road winners over Jacksonville State. LSU absolutely destroys Southeastern Louisiana 17-3. So the SEC drops two games last night. Of course, your Bulldogs uh, are one of them. Uh, And so you start looking around this thing and you begin to realize, you know, I don't know how good the league is this year. Honestly, I think there's a lot of parity in the league. And I think Tennessee is a team you look at and say, you know what, this team is kind of built for, you know, for a run into the tournament. I don't know how well their offense will translate. Um, You know, with – with Omaha, I mean, it's like I don't know if their offense fits that ballpark. But I think this Tennessee team is clearly better than that team last year that was one of the first teams eliminated in Omaha. And I'll be honest with you, after the way they smashed us in Hoover, I wasn't really excited to see them in Omaha. They were on our side of the bracket, too, so I was pretty happy to see those guys get eliminated. But, uh, you know, it just makes me wonder, though, you know, is Tennessee beaten up on an SEC schedule where there aren't a lot of great teams? Because if you look at this Tennessee schedule, too, they don't play Arkansas in the regular season, right? You know, and we, like, we never know from one week to the next, you know, how good Georgia's going to be. You know, this Tennessee team, though, I mean, it's like I mean, you look at the SEC play, South Carolina, they, they sweep South Carolina, right? And South Carolina is very much up and down, basically a 500 team in the league, probably will finish below 500. Uh, Ole Miss was ranked number one at the time, and that was clearly overrated. You know, Ole Miss uh, – kind of in a similar situation that we're in, going to struggle to make the field at Hoover if they do. They probably feel a whole lot better about our circumstance. They go to Vandy and sweep those guys. This is a down year for Vandy. We've talked about that from the beginning of the season, kind of previewing things. Uh, They swept Missouri, who's the last place team in the East. Alabama uh, still doing a decent job in many respects. Alabama's better, but are they great? No, I don't think so. Florida really just really beginning to play up their potential for the first time. Um but Tennessee goes into Florida and knocks those guys around. You know, Auburn, they you know take two out of three against Auburn in Knoxville. You know, we took two out of three from Auburn. I mean, how good is Auburn? And then they lose two out of three at Kentucky. You know, now people are beginning to share film, and so they'll get to see Georgia this weekend. But it's like I just kind of ask myself, you know, is Tennessee as great as they are? Are they are they almost propped up by a little bit that the league is down a little bit? I mean, let's be honest. This is not the Ole Miss or Mississippi State team people expected. This is not the Florida team people expected. And so you start looking at, you know, Tennessee doesn't play LSU. Now, LSU's been pretty good. They don't play Arkansas. You know, so they kind of get a break in the schedule this year. But I think it's interesting, you know, how much of this can you really place a lot of confidence in? Again, they'll, they'll get Georgia this weekend. I expect them to take that series. You know, Vanderbilt's 12-12 and 12 in the league. Florida's 11-13. and 13. There's only two teams above 500 in the East. And after this weekend, uh, if Tennessee's able to sweep Georgia, you won't even be able to say that. So it's interesting. And, again, Arkansas, the best team, you know, Arkansas, LSU, and A&M, the front runners in the West, and Tennessee avoids all those. So you've beaten up on the four worst teams in the West, and you've basically got a sub-500 you know, sub division with the exception of Georgia. And so I just ask those questions, you know. I mean, it's like, could we see Tennessee take a similar path that Arkansas took? Which, in my mind, actually, you know, Arkansas won every series. But also, too, I think the league was really good last year. 
you know, we, we won an AFL championship. Vanderbilt was, you know, the number two team in the country. And so when you look at the totality of last season, I think in many respects what Arkansas did is more impressive because they beat up on the league that was a very good league. And that's the thing you begin to think about, too, when you look at that Arkansas schedule from a year ago. You know, they didn't get a lot of breaks in the schedule. You may recall they went out there and went undefeated in the State Farm College Baseball Showdown. You know, we went 2-1, and one and everybody's like, we're the only SEC team we lost. We won an Apple championship. But, you know, right out of the gate, they get three top ten wins. You know, non-conference is what it is, but they go to Louisiana Tech, who was a team, also a tournament team as well. They took two out of three from out there and, and nearly swept a series. Um, you know, they catch Alabama last year, who was a top 25 team at the time. They sweep us at our place. We're ranked number two. They take two out of three from Auburn. And even Auburn was kind of built to win last year. Things didn't work out as well as they'd hoped. But they get number three Ole Miss last year, take a series there in Oxford. Uh, A&M was so up and down, of course, they win the series. And you, you certainly expect that. South Carolina was ranked 11 when Arkansas played them. And the Razorbacks take two out of three. They go to LSU. It's always tough to win at Alex Box, no matter the circumstances. And they smashed LSU those first two ball games. They lose game three, five, four. But they absolutely destroyed them the rest of the weekend. Uh, Georgia was riding high at the time, uh, expected to be a potential host, and ended up missing a tournament. But uh, Arkansas really kind of put the nail in the coffin. And then Arkansas goes to Knoxville last year, number four, Tennessee, and takes two out of three there. And then they host number nine, Florida, the last weekend of the regular season, and they sweep those guys. So you start going through here and looking at these top ten wins. And again, I think what Arkansas did last year is just simply more impressive. So I could see Tennessee being a team that trips up in the regional. I think maybe you know Tony Vitello has a coaching moment after last weekend. You went on the road and lost to Kentucky. And all due respect to Nick Menzion, that just shouldn't have happened. But it did. It absolutely did. And you credit the Wildcats. And so – I don't think anybody in Knoxville can just say, oh, yeah, we're going to win an AFL championship. And I read some of our fans saying that stuff, too. You have the toughest outs to get in all of college baseball or in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, what are they going to do when they run into a pitcher that's really on top of his game? What are they going to do? You know, we saw last year Arkansas and uh, NC State took those guys down, you know. And those are the things that I, I began to think about. You know, remember that first ball game in Fayetteville last year in the Super Regional when they got NC State? Arkansas beat them 21 to 2, and everybody said, Oh, this thing is over. Arkansas is going to sweep through Omaha. Well, then they lose 6 5, and they lose 3 to 2. Great pitching will shut down great hitting when great pitching's on its game. So I just share that because I think it's important to kind of understand that um, even though we're not going to be a part of it, you know, if you're a fan of college baseball, there's still a lot of mystery left when it comes to all this. And, uh, you know, Mississippi State now, you look at these SEC standings, I mean, it's just. You begin to wonder where the wins are going to come from. I mean, you really do. We talk about, well, you know, we're kind of we're kind of in there. You know, we're dead last, guys. We're tied with Kentucky. And I haven't done the math to see who the tiebreaker is right now. Missouri is two games behind us. You know, but we're tied for, you know, that last spot in Hoover. And we still got to play Tennessee. So – we're going to need to win some games. We can't just sit around and depend on help. We've got to win some games. We need to win some games this weekend. And at this point, I don't have a lot of confidence 
in, in this team. And I, and I begin to wonder, you know, how we're going to respond. Are we going to quit? You know, I don't, I don't think we're those kind of kids on our team. I don't think so. But I think it's also important, too, to kind of, you know, let's just kind of see it for what it is. And I asked Chris Simonis last night. I asked him directly about that. You know, you know how, how do you keep the guys? How do you keep the guys in from just, you know, resigning to the season? He goes, I don't know. We've, we've, had, a good, we've had a good group. I said we're invested, but we have to be more competitive. There's no feel sorry for me in our clubhouse. If they do and I see it, we'll play somebody else. That's the biggest thing we've got going on right now. And he's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. We've got to figure it out. You can't let somebody say, well, that's it. Let me get ready to go play in the Cape Cod League. So maybe getting out of Stark will be good for us. I don't know. I just, you know, I would love to say, hey, we're going to win the series. But, you know, if the, the way we played the last two weeks, you know, what have they done to really kind of, uh, you know, inspire any sense of confidence? After we, after we took down Ole Miss, I think everybody took a big sigh of relief and said, okay, we're going to be okay. We'll go up there and we'll take two out of three from Mizzou, and then we'll piece it together down the stretch. And we got these final three series. You know, maybe we can get a couple. Maybe we can win a series against Florida or A&M. Maybe we can steal one from Tennessee and end up being 500 in the league. And you know what happens. We lost five of the last six SEC games. Couldn't afford to lose uh, many at all. We've lost five of six. And then we've got our, probably our two toughest opponents, uh, not named Arkansas, left on the schedule. You know, I would love to be able to come back here, you know, next week and say, hey, guys, we still got a chance. We don't. Our RPI is completely well over 100 now. Non-conference RPI is killing us. And then we talked about, you know, what we need to do. We talked about, you know what, you got to go at least 3-1 and one in non-conference in the final four games, right? And we, we lose the, the governor's game. We said we can kind of absorb that. We could use the RPI hit, the boost, but uh, – you know, you, you can't lose to uh, Samford and you can't lose North Alabama because their RPIs are so bad. You know, at this point, I don't know that at this point that you look at Mississippi State and you say, you know what, they're a prohibitive favorite against anybody. Because I don't think it's about competition. I don't think it's about talent. I don't think it's about coaching. I think we have allowed our egos to get bruised to the point that maybe there's no recovery this year. And maybe that's the reality we're facing. It's like, hey, you know, we won an Apple championship last year and absolutely nobody has respected us and it's put a target on our back. And maybe we thought that, you know what, we're going to have that same level of intensity. That's one thing that I, you know, I kind of point out too. I look at Cole Cheatham and I look at Hunter Hines and I look at Cade Smith. You know, as the game gets tight, and of course we've got a much smaller sample size with Cole Cheatham. When the game gets tight though, you know, those, we've got some younger guys that they have a different level of intensity. There's not this – with Hunter Hines, there's not this, oh, well, mentality. When this guy gets out, he's furious. Even if he barrels one up and just gets under it a little bit, and you, you give it a ride or whatever, and, and you get out, he's out. It's a black and white world with him. And those are the guys that we got to go get. We got to recruit guys in that same vein. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in the final segment of the show. Uh, let's thank our friends at Portico. Uh, Portico, a great place to live, a great place, uh, you know, to maybe have as your secondary home. You know, I think that's exciting too to think about that. It's like, hey, I want to get a place where I can go when I go watch the ball games at Mississippi State. I can stay overnight. I don't have to spend money on a hotel, and maybe one day I'll retire there. Maybe that's the clue. Maybe that's what it all boils down to. It's just, you know, hey, 
I just want to have a place in Starville, another place to call home. So look no further than Portico. Very easy to get to, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You turn off of 82 on a 12, the very first ride. It's Pat Station Road. They'll take you to Portico. Go by and check it out yourself. Maybe you just say, hey, next time we're in town, let's just swing through here and do a little window shopping for ourselves and see what you think. You're going to be awfully impressed. My friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Brooks Bryan, can give you more information. Brooks's number is 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Uh, Brooks, a former Diamond Dog, if there is such a thing, you know, he played here. Uh, I think Diamond Dogs are a, a lifelong distinction. But Brooks can bring you closer to the action. Uh, many people have said, you know, one day I would like to retire to Starkville. I'd like to live in Starkville. Now's the time. Now's the time. And that's the thing, too. There's so much going on now. You know, people out there, you know, building's not going quite as well for some people. Portico, construction's underway. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under construction, you can have a say right now in your house plans, of course, and uh, picking your lot. Everybody deserves that at once, once in their life, for sure. So let's uh, give Brooks a call today to get more information, and let's make Portico your next move. Okay, so I want to take a few minutes here. In the time that we have left, and I don't know how long we go today, because I'm a little bit later in the day getting the show done, and I don't mean to be, but, uh, you know, we won't be late Friday, but, um, but here's the deal. All right, so what needs to happen? Like, a lot of people wonder, say, Steve, hey, are we trending in the wrong direction? It's been a bad year. It, I mean, it has been. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It's been a bad year. We expected more. We expect more all the time. I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you, well, we should just be happy because we just won an Apple championship. no. That's not what I envision for Mississippi State baseball. I'm not some incredible narcissist. Well, maybe I am. Uh, where I think all that should matter to me. But with the commitment we have made to baseball in the last 10 years, it wasn't just to win a NAFL championship. It was to win multiple NAFL championships. And I'm not going to be satisfied until we win some more. I'm not going to say, well, you know what? Hey, you know, we've had a bunch of near misses, and, you know, but at least we won in 2021. As happy as I was and remain about us finally getting the ring, I'm not satisfied with that. I was happy last year with that. I was over the moon, over, oh, just so incredibly emotionally invested in how that worked out for all of us, for our players, our coaches, our former players, and for every one of you that's ever bought an M over S cap and everybody that's come and sat in the sun and gotten sunburned and probably dehydrated that's here on this team, we deserved it. I remember John Cohen telling me last year in preseason, he said, I wanted even more for our fans than I do our players because they've given so much of themselves for so long. But that wasn't the destination. It's part of the journey. And so like all of you, I want to believe that our journey in many respects is just kind of beginning. You know, I want to be, and listen, we are one of the top 15 college baseball programs in the history of college baseball. That's really not debatable. It's really not. We are a blue blood of college baseball. But I don't want to just be one of those that you have to kind of talk people into because we're not new money. Like some other programs in this state and beyond, uh, we're not new money. We had been good at baseball for a long time, and it was really a, and kind of a sad punchline that we had never won one. And while I appreciate all the contributions that got us to that point, I'm not going to say, well, that was the pinnacle for us, and then now it's just okay for us, uh, you know, to just want to host every year, just so we can all have one more weekend of everybody sitting out, you know, cooking chicken wings and drinking beer. You can do that from home. 
It's about the prize. And so we have taken a step back this year. Now, it would be short-sighted not to mention the injuries. And I always preface that. And honestly, I get tired of having to use that as a caveat because I know the first thing we want to run to, because we love Mississippi State baseball so much, we want to explain things away. We want to explain shortcomings and our failures away. It's only human nature. It's like we do with our kids or our spouses or our significant others. You always want to give the things and people you care about the benefit of the doubt. That's just human nature, right? Because we love it so much. And sometimes we love it so much, we squeeze and smother to death. And we can't see it for what it really is. This is a bad year. This is a bad year where we have had some injuries that were significant. You don't think this is a better team with Landon Sims and Stone Simmons and uh, Parker Stanett, uh, you know, Brooks Auger. You don't think we're a better team with those guys? You don't think we could close out games if we had those guys? We could. We wouldn't be having this conversation today. Now, that's not our only problem. You know, we've had some guys not make the jump we expected or we hoped for. We had some guys not really step up into the star role this year. And now we've kind of got the gift of hindsight and say, you know what, hey, this is where that brought us. Now, it would be very easy to say, well, you know, let's just gut the roster. Well, no, that, no. That said, we've got to make some changes. We don't have the talent at some positions that we hope to have. And when you look at how well we've recruited the last several years, you say, well, you know, wait a minute here. And that's the reality of life. It is so difficult to predict future human performance. I don't know if you guys know this, but I think that if I remember correctly, Dakota Hudson had 12 innings pitched before his junior year at Mississippi State. 12. And then he ends up being a first-rounder. Is there somebody on this staff that is just kind of waiting to emerge and kind of take on that role? Remember how good Austin Sexton was? What a great college pitcher he was. And that's the thing that I think about is if we had just had an average bullpen, not a, not a good one, just, we're just average bullpen. You're probably talking a difference in a half dozen ball games. And, again, we're not having this conversation. And so I think we've got to go out and find those guys. You know, find those guys that can at least be above average. You know, we're at Mississippi State. We should be able to recruit the National League. And I think last year, and again, this is kind of an educated comment, I think we were a little bit reluctant to go out and really work the portal hard last year because we had so many pieces coming back. We're like, hey, you know, listen, we got to go get a middle infielder so we get R.J. Yeager, who has been great. What a great job. We've done a great job back-to-back years going out working the middle infield portal and uh, getting Scotty DeBrule and going and getting um, R.J. Yeager. Hey, you know, let's keep working the SoCon and the Atlantic Sun and let's go find us some guys, right? Veteran guys that uh, maybe aren't going to be big draft picks as, as juniors that can come in here and really compete and help us be a better ball club. But I think there was some reluctance to really embrace the portal last year. Well, let's just go fill our needs. And some other teams were a little heavier in the portal. When we talk about LSU, and, and people will well, look what LSU did. Well, LSU went to a coaching change. And Jay Johnson brought some guys with him, you know, from Arizona. They did. Jacob Berry, one of, them, one of the best players in our league right now. And he was a great player at Arizona, too. So it's not like he came here and suddenly found that he was a proven commodity. 
So I don't know that you can really compare our situation to LSU, but let's look at Arkansas. You know, Arkansas goes out and gets a couple guys. And, and Dave Van Horn and uh, somebody that, whose opinion that I, I trust immensely when it comes to college baseball said Dave Van Horn has figured out how to be old every year. Old wins. Not just in baseball, but in football. And for that respect, basketball. Experience matters. Doesn't always have to be SEC experience, but you get better in guys that have seen it all and done it all. You know, those guys don't have the same level of learning curve. You know, Michael Turner at Arkansas has been outstanding. He has been. You know, look at Sonny DeShera that came here from Auburn. And I had some people tell me, oh, he wanted to come to Mississippi State. I was told that deal was done last year. At our regional last year, I was told you know, that there were some guys that were going to go in the portal from Sanford, and there was already deals done. Now, you never know how true that stuff is, but there was discussion last year in Starkville that Sonny DeShera was headed to Auburn that summer. True or untrue. Those are the rumors going around, and ultimately ends up at Auburn and uh, could end up being National Player of the Year. Could we have used him? Absolutely we could. But the reality of it is, is, you know, hey, when you get a kid like that that's already got his mind made up, how hard can you go get him? I, I don't know. you got to try. But, again, I think there was some reluctance to really go knee-deep in the portal. I think this year there can't, there can't be. There can't be the same level of reluctance. We've got to go out there and get some guys – there may be stopgap guys because I think that we've done a pretty good job recruiting high school players, and that's kind of the lifeblood of your program. I, I don't think you can utilize the portal like a junior college program and have a new team every year. And you've got to have a nucleus of guys that are around for a few years that kind of embrace the system that you're implementing. And so when you bring guys in, there's already a ready-made culture. You know, A lot of people talk about culture. A lot of people don't know what it is either. And said, oh, we have culture problems. You know, no, we don't have culture problems at Mississippi State. Are you kidding me? No, we got a great baseball culture at Mississippi State. We just don't have a great team this year. Let's not make it bigger than what it is. We just haven't played well. And some would say, well, you know, Steve, there's this and there's that. And, and it's so easy to work through the index and start checking boxes and trying to find somebody to blame. The reality of it is sometimes it's nobody's fault. You know, and it, I said this on the show before, and it doesn't matter how much you want it if you're not good enough. At some point, we've all dealt with that in athletics. I mean, how many of us wanted to play on the college level in high school? And so, shoot, some of us in middle school, or when you fill up Little League, you think, you know, hey, one day I want to play on my high school team. I want to be able to be a part of that. I want to get a letterman's jacket. And then all of a sudden, you, you find out how much work that's involved in it, or perhaps it's your talent level is not consistent with what that coach wants. And you don't get to play in high school. And then all of a sudden we become, you know, experts on everybody else. You know, it doesn't mean that we love the game any less. But there, there's just a commitment there. And there's a talent differential between the haves and the have-nots in many respects when it comes to baseball. There's so many of us that sit out here and love the game of baseball. And it's like, it's, you know, you begin to get kind of carried away and you start rooting for players. And sometimes you begin to realize, you know, I think this guy's always going to be a role player. There's a role for him on this team, but he's never going to be a guy that carries a team. Well, we got to go out and find some guys that can. Hunter Hines, provided he stays healthy, is going to be a dude in this lineup for two years. He's not going to be draft eligible until after his junior season. So we're going to have him for two more years, provided, you know, hey, you know, who knows? That guy grew up a bulldog. I don't think he's going to go test the portal or anything. But that guy's going to be a hammer, left-handed bat in our lineup for two years to come. Well, we got to get some guys that can hit around him. 
Again, LT is gone. You know, Luke may be back, and Luke is really kind of more of a doubles hitter. Occasionally he can hit a tank every now and again, but he's more of a doubles hitter. Still not sure what's going to happen with him. Not sure what's going to happen with Cam James. I'm told Cam has a number in mind. Uh, and he's still got two years of leverage. You know, I, and again, I think Cam continues to get better. I mean, you look at the defensive piece with him, you know, last year it was a mess. And this year he's been much more dependable. I still think that he probably projects as an outfielder at the next level, so maybe he comes back next year and uh, plays an outfield spot for you, maybe. But we've got some pieces, but we, we cannot depend on just what we have coming back. We've got to go out there and get some sticks, and we've got to go out there and get some pitching. You know, maybe you add a couple position players you know, that can come in and, and be table setters for you because we don't have a natural leadoff on this team. You know, RJ is batting leadoff, but uh, it's really, you know, when you look at his skill set, it's probably a guy that should be hitting, you know, maybe third or fourth in the order, probably third, because that guy can handle a breaking ball. But he's batting leadoff, you know, because he's one of our best hitters, and he's proven to be our best offensive player this year. Really glad that he's been a bulldog for us, and he always will be. So you got to go out and find that next Scotty DeBrule and RJ Yeager, and, of course, completely different skill sets there. Both those guys made very positive impressions on the program. But you got to go out there and find a couple guys that can swing and kind of protect guys like Hunter Hines. You got to find some guys that can hit in the heart of that order. And again, I think Kellum Clark will be back, but you know that, that's another power left-handed bat. We got to have some guys on the right-hand side that can hit with some power. That's got to be a priority. It has to be. And you look at starting pitching. Well, you know, I feel really good about Cade Smith. Outside of that, you know, who do you look at and say, you know what, that's going to be our dude? Is this Pico develop into a starter next year? You know, he's going to put on some weight. He'll get bigger. The weight strength and condition program here do a good job helping him put on some good weight. So, does he emerge as a left-handed starter? And this is a guy, too, really been a pleasant surprise for us. We had high expectations for him. I don't think we thought he'd be this good this early. I mean, every time he comes out now, you can just kind of see an emotional lift in the crowd. It's like, okay, hey, Pete, we know Pico's going to cut those strikes. You know, and he got tagged for a home run last week and took a loss. But they got pitched really well. That's going to happen in baseball sometimes. Is Casey back next year? Is he, does he a factor on the weekends? Or does he stay in the bullpen? Does he go pro this year? I don't know. I don't think he's done enough to get drafted. I think the time on the shelf probably prevents that. But he had a really good summer last year in the Cape. He had a really good fall here. So I could see somebody taking a shot at him. But we've got to have some other dudes. You know, we've got to have some guys step up and be really good players. I mean, Jack Walker was the Louisiana Player of the Year last year. And so, you know, he has pitched kind of sparingly this year. He's had his confidence, you know, shaken a couple times, but he's also has kind of bounced back. He's learning to develop some mental toughness. But we can't just depend on that. You know what I'm saying? We've got to go out and find a couple of dudes. And I don't care if you go get the number two or number three starter from some SOCON team. You know, you've got to be able to go out there and get guys uh, that can get strikes for you you got to get guys that aren't going to walk players. And, and here's the thing, too, and I say this, this goes all the way back. As long as I remember baseball, this has been true. Guys that are scared to get hit will not throw strikes. They don't trust their stuff. Guys that don't have confidence in their stuff and their ability to get guys out will not throw strikes. They will hope they can get a guy to chase and ultimately end up walking somebody. We've got to go get some dudes that are not scared to throw strikes. They're going to pound the zone. That was one thing, one of the tenets, you know, when Butch Thompson was here, is we're going to go fill up the zone. 
we're going to pitch to contact, especially back in the first generation BB Core era. We're like, hey, we're, we're going to go make them hit the baseball. You know, Chris Stratton may have been the master at that. And Chris and I talked when, when he made the big leagues, and he's like, you know, I wish I would have worked a little more pitch efficiency. He goes, you know, in college, you, know, you want to strike everybody out. And I wish I would have trusted my defense a little bit more and made guys hit my pitch. And I think you're seeing the evolution of that in some respects in the college game, even though we got a ton of strikeouts. I think we've got guys like Cade Smith. They're like, you know what, I trust my stuff, so I'm going to be in the zone, and I'm going to make you hit my pitch and beat it in the ground. I think Brandon Smith's a guy, too. You look at and say, you know, if assuming Brandon's back, which is, you know, far from a certain thing. But Brandon trusts his stuff. And Brandon doesn't have what I would call next-level stuff. But Brandon is a guy that gets good sink. He had a really bad outing against Florida. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He did. He had a horrible outing against Florida. The worst he's had, he's been in the starting rotation. But he's been a guy we can count on. But what I love about Brandon Smith and Cade Smith is they're willing to go compete. It's like, okay, big boy, you think you're going to hit it out? Here it is. Let's go. Let's dance. You know, Brandon's walk numbers, you know, lead the team. He had a bad weekend last weekend. But, you know, remember when he joined the rotation, he walked like two the whole year. Two. That's a guy that trusts his stuff. And so that's, I think, where Foxhall has to come in. Number one, you have got to find a way to instill confidence in these guys. And you've got to go out and get some guys that are proven commodities on the college level to come in here and provide greater competition and leadership in that pitching rotation. And certainly in the bullpen. You know, we got to go out and get some dudes. Simple as that. And you, you've seen this week, State's made some adjustments to the recruiting class. Uh, a couple guys that uh, were commitments that hadn't signed yet uh, are guys that are going to be heading elsewhere. And as, as much as you hated for them and their families, because, you know, we've already bought the shirt. You had, uh, you had all the other you know, pomp and circumstance. You've had to tell everybody. And now it's not going to work out. And uh, you hate it. But here's the deal. We can't treat this like the Boy Scouts. It's like, well, and and I get it. People say, well, Steve, we made a commitment. We made an offer. We should stand by that. I get it. Uh, And then you you, you can go help the coaching staff pack in a few years when we, you know, basically treat this like Little League where everybody has to play two innings a week. This is big boy baseball. This is the Southeastern Conference. And not only is it a Southeastern Conference, this is Mississippi State baseball. It's Mississippi State baseball that uh, has built a tradition a winning baseball. And we have not added to that tradition this year. We haven't. And that's just that's as brutally honest as I can be about it. For whatever reason, no matter it be this guy didn't do this, this guy didn't do that, this guy got hurt, period. You are who you are. We're one game over 500. We're dead last in the SEC West. It's not Mississippi State baseball. It's not what we've grown accustomed to. While we can try to attempt to explain it away, you know, many of us thought we'd kind of graduated beyond that. And, of course, you know, Nobody is totally immune from that. You know, at some point, you have a year where you're just kind of snake bit. You know, I, I, I had a discussion with somebody earlier. I, I have some people that message me relentlessly during ball games to share this streaming consciousness about their, their feelings um, of how, you know, we're done or whatever. And, and then, of course, a little bit later, like, oh, you know, worked out. There are a lot of people that are crisis junkies. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? There are some people, it's like, we always predict that things are going to go poorly. So when they do, we get some type of relief from it. It's like, oh, thank God, you know. A lot of times we're okay. This year we hadn't been. We hadn't been. And it doesn't mean in any stretch that, you know, that that we've taken a step back as a program. We just had a bad year. 
think it's important to kind of look at it and, and, and frame it up in, its possi- in, in, in the best possible context. You know, it's, well, Lamontis better do this. I mean, you know, guys, Chris Lamontis didn't get hired because he was just some dude. Chris Lamontis done amazing things here at Mississippi State. He has. And I ran the numbers for you a couple weeks ago about how it all kind of, you know, laid out for you, you know, who recruited who and that sort of stuff. And, and st- despite the fact the articles have been written, uh, and I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to, um, I guess, kind of uh, – have some ammunition for the water cooler talk, it's still kind of lost on people. I'm going to go back a few years, too. You, remember, you guys remember we won the SEC? Remember that? 2016. We won the Southeastern Conference for the first time since 1989. We'd had a dreadful 2015 year. Well, you know who had a great 2015 year? Arkansas. Our friends at Arkansas. Dave Van Horn has done an exceptional job at Arkansas. I mean, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think many people, in many respects, would consider Arkansas our biggest baseball rival. Used to be LSU. I think now it's Arkansas. And a lot of that's because of Dave Van Horn. 2015, Arkansas makes a College World Series. Do you know what happened in 2016? Now, granted, Arkansas didn't win it because they never won one. But for the first time in the Dave Van Horn era at Arkansas, and the only time, they didn't make the tournament. Arkansas finished 26-29 and 29 and 7-23 and 23 in our league, and those last three losses came at Duty Noble Field. We swept them to win the SEC. The next year, 2017, they're right back in the tournament. They finished second in the West, 45-19, 18-11 in the league, and make a regional. The next year, they're the College World Series runner-up. And you know what? They went back to the College World Series the next year. And then, of course, uh, you know, 2021, they had that great, amazing season. They win the SEC regular season crown. They win the SEC tournament, and they got beaten in the Super Regional round. But I, I say that just because some people act like that these problems are somehow unique to us. It's just not the case. You know, there's so many people out there, too, that, uh, you know, want to judge, the, the, you know, which – and I don't mean this to be negative about Ole Miss – but people always want to kind of, you know, compare us to them, even though they really had no baseball tradition to speak of until the 1970s, and even that kind of evaporated. I shared with you guys here a couple weeks ago that uh, they went 17 years between NCAA regional appearances, and Mike Bianco got there, and there's still all this discussion that Bianco's going to be fired. And, um, you know, I'm sure people are like, well, Steve, of course you wanted to mistake. A state said it's a good success. I, you know, I don't know what they're expecting, but whatever. I mean, whatever, whatever's bad for them is good for us. But, you know, I go back and I think about, you know, you know we go play for a NAFL championship in 13, right? Well, they, they went to Omaha 14 for the first time since 1972. They make a regional in 15. Bad year, too, 30 and 28. But they did finish 15 and 14 in the league, had the big finish. 2016, better year, 14 and West again, made a regional. 17, completely missed a tournament. 32 and 25, 14 and 16 in the league, and miss a tournament. Back to a regional, then a super, and back to a super. And you, know, you start looking at all this, and, and people think, oh, well, this only happens to us, or only at Mississippi State. And what you're really saying when you say that is that I just, I don't know college baseball, Steve. Will you help me? That's what we say. I wrote that piece today, and, you know, because I, I, even, even some people in the media said, 
hey, is this the first time the NFL champion didn't make the tournament the next year? I'm like, are, are you kidding me? It's happened dozens of times. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, I've done the research. Yes. That's in no way to soften the blow because this absolutely sucks. It absolutely sucks that we feel this way. It absolutely sucks that our players feel this way. You think that's what they wanted this year? You think they were just going to coast? And think, hey, you know, hey, we've already won an AFL championship. We don't need to do anything else. No, they, they wanted to repeat. Guys, last year, and I, I won't say who told me this, but as soon as they handed us the trophy, one of our players said, let's come back and repeat next year. We, we hadn't even begun the celebration. We're talking about repeating. And you look at Brad Compass this year. Look at the, the progress that Brad has made this year, the work that he's put in. He went and had that surgery, and he worked hard this year. You think that guy was just resting on the fact that we won an Apple championship? No, that guy's trying to come out here and lead us again. He's trying to step up and assume one of those roles. And listen, the guy's had his best year in a uniform. I still think he's gone. I think he's going to get drafted. I think he's going to sign a pro contract. I'm going to miss that guy. I am. I think Brad's an important piece for us. I'd love to get him back. I would. But I also understand the reality of the situation. But I just share this with you because I think it's important to kind of understand, to kind of frame this thing up. And let, let's, not th- let's not just volunteer to be victims here. we got two weekends left. We'll see what we make of it. I'm not optimistic. I'm not. I'm just laying it out there. I'd love to be able to, oh, I think State's going to win this. Guys, I don't have confidence State's going to win a game at this point unless it's against North Alabama. And I hate feeling this way. I love baseball. I love college baseball. And I love Mississippi State baseball the best, just like all of you. But we're having a bad year. We're not taking a downturn as a program. We didn't just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and finally win it. Like, okay, that's enough. Okay, let's go do something else. No. And if you think Chris Lamonos is just going to sit by on the bucket like you guys point out, it's so funny to me too. What you're telling me is you're watching the game from TV and all you see is the shot. You're not there at the game. You don't see him out there walking out there and standing up on the top step barking at umpires and that kind of – you don't see all that stuff. But we base our opinions on that kind of stuff. It's not even true. But if you think he's just going to sit back on his laurels and say, well, you know, hey, we won an AFL championship. I signed a big contract. We can coast for a while. You don't know anything about the guy. That guy's ultra competitive. Ultra competitive. And if you don't think that he's going to do what it takes this summer to get this thing turned around, you're kidding yourself. He absolutely – he'll commit everything. You think that guy's going to have a relaxing summer this year? You kidding me? Last year he was able to, you know, had all these public appearances, took some time off, had to get out and go do some recruiting. You know, it's like there's all this stuff that goes on. He took some time off with his family, took a vacation. I suspect that Chris Simonis won't sleep a wink this summer without thinking about Mississippi State baseball and without thinking about what we've got to do to get back to the College World Series next year. He understands the expectations. You don't have to tweet him. He knows. You don't have to go out there and, and talk negatively to the Health State baseball account, which it's just some uh, – it's usually some college kid that's running that account just doing a job. And then I, we've got, you know, some of our fans venting, going off on, on college kids. You know, it's like, oh, you guys stink. You know, well, it's a college kid that's uh, on a work-study program just trying to make ends meet and get their college degree. That's, that's who you're talking to. It's not like Chris Simonis runs the account. It's not like one of our players, when they make an error or strike out in a key situation, it's not like they're on the account. You shouldn't be contacting them anyway, at least with not any negative information. 
But I can assure you that everybody involved with Mississippi State baseball, all the way up to the top, is committed to doing what it takes to ensure that Mississippi State is routinely in Omaha and routinely competing for national championships. Nobody is asleep at the wheel thinking, you know what, hey, we've accomplished our goal. Let's move on to something else. That's just not how it works. All right, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, and you can get personalized or signed copies of Dogpile. You know, Father's Day is coming up. Dad's a big baseball fan. Maybe this year makes him long for yesteryear even more. And uh, if you haven't completed your complex, your collection, a lot of people have asked me, you know, like I've talked to people. They're like, hey, Steve, you know, do you remember the 1970 team with Brantley Jones and, and Dennis Hall and those guys? I was like, yeah, I wrote about that in Stark Villains. I interviewed Brantley Jones. Oh, hey, do you know Ted Yard Dog Milton? I, I do. I actually interviewed Ted for Alpha Dogs, a chapter about the 71 College World Series team. Well, Steve, do you know Mike Kelly? Matter of fact, I do know Mike Kelly. I interviewed Mike about his wild and circuitous past to Mississippi State. He ends up being, you know, one of the best center fielder in program history. Well, Steve, have you talked to Mitch Merle? Well, matter of fact, I did talk to Mitch Merle, and that's also in Alpha Dogs, too. So if you love college baseball, I've written about those things in addition to football. And a matter of fact, I've written about every Egg Bowl win since 1946 in those books, Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. And, again, we're not going to reprint those this year. So if you're looking to complete the collection, now's the time to do it. If you wait to the holidays, I can't guarantee you we're going to have inventory on those books. I know that there's less than 100 copies of both. I think it's correct. I know there's less than 100 copies of Villains, and I think we're right around 100, 100 copies for Alpha Dogs. And uh, get new printing of Alpha Dogs coming next month. Uh, alpha dogs of a dog pile coming next month and so buy what you want we'll print more simple as that and i was worried at one time we were going to run out of books it kept me up at night and we kind of cut back on some appearances and things like that and uh, so we've got inventories if you want to order online you can you can get a signed performance copy for dad uh, or for mom or for yourself again it's dogpiledbook.com you can get all my sports books there flim flam alpha dog stark villains and dog pile and if you're looking for blooms of oleander mom Maybe you didn't get that book of poetry from people you love. You can find it at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, booksandmillion.com. And as always, Stark Villains gear available at starkvillains.com. Mom and Dad both might like some Stark Villains gear. Be sure and check it out. That's it for today. I'll be back on Friday as we preview the series against Texas A&M. Hope that you guys have a great rest of the week. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.